Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 602 in uh, the Pew Bibles, or page 1150 in the large print Pew Bibles. And that is Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 13. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the promises that you have made to us, for the strength that you provide in Jesus, that we can do the things that you have called us, that you have called us to do. Lord, we pray that this morning you would give us fresh ears to hear your word to us. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive your word. That it wouldn't just be information for our heads, but that this uh, word this morning would lead to transformation in our lives. That we would be changed ever more into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Turning into our New Testament lesson, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. On page 822, or 1574 in the large print, Mark 10, 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are told that we have some inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? And that sometimes seems to be more important than life or liberty itself. The pursuit of happiness. Give up everything else as long as I can just be happy. You know what it is that uh, most parents say they want for their children? When their children grow up. It's not that they want them to be good. It's not that they want them to uh, to be holy. It's not that they want them to be In relationship with God, you know what most parents want for their children? I don't care what they do. I don't care who they turn out to be. I don't care any of these things. just Just as long as they are happy. Which is unfortunate in many ways. Unless, unless we have a biblical understanding of happiness. The word... uh, that's used in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning when Jesus says, blessed are they who? Blessed are the uh, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That word can also be translated happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. It doesn't really fit with our usual understanding of what it means to be happy. Usually what we think of when we say we want to be happy is, I want to have all of my desires and wishes fulfilled. I want to be comfortable and have whatever I desire, and then I will be happy. But that kind of happiness is a chasing after the wind, where we're always not quite there. And we're like the, uh, the, like the donkey with the carrot right out in front of it, 
And you just keep following it along, but you never quite get to take the bite. You never feel that sense of satisfaction. The happiness is always just around the corner, just after the next promotion or after the next car or after the next whatever it is. But that's not the happiness that's being talked about here. When Jesus says, happy are those who mourn, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is a very different kind of happiness. But it has to do with that not just following after and never reaching, the always hungering and never being satisfied, but it has to do with that actual deep satisfaction where you realize that you are right in, hello, right in the center of where you're supposed to be. <laughs> you learned to wave. I appreciate it. That's the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about. When you find yourself in the kingdom of God and you realize that, yes, the first will be last and last will be first, according to the world's terms, those who are first and those who are last will be completely reversed when you see things through the eyes of the kingdom of God. And so even though you're maybe mourning, you can still be, have that happiness, that blessedness of being in the kingdom of God and in relationship with God. And when we read, or when we sang a little bit ago, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, that is exactly right. And when we want for our children, I don't care what they do as long as they are happy, that's fine. As long as we understand the only path to happiness is through trusting and obeying. That faith and that response of faith to Jesus is the only way true happiness comes. And anything else, apart from that, will not lead to happiness in the end. We are in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 4. Where the writer gives us an example of Last week I mentioned that this was kind of a two-part sermon. This is the second. Uh, the second part is he's continuing the same illustration he gave last week of the people who had been brought out of slavery in Egypt. God had brought them out, had shown them amazing signs and wonders, and had brought them out because he had promised to give Abraham's descendants a land of their own. So he brings them out of slavery in Egypt, through amazing miracles, the plagues on Egypt and then the parting of the Red Sea, and they get, uh, they get out into the wilderness and they start whining. And they start whining because, you know, there's no food here. God must have just brought us out to die. Okay, here's some food. Well, now there's no water here. He must have just brought us out here to die. Okay, here's water. Now let me take you to the land that I'm going to give you. And they go and they look at the land and they, come, and they come back out and say, he just brought us here to die because there's no way we could take the land. As though they've learned nothing about God, who God is and his faithfulness to them. They're still seeing everything as though it's all depending on them. If it were up to them to get food in the desert, they would have died. If it were up to them to get water in the desert, they would have died. And if it were up to them to go in and take the land, they would have died. 
So they were right if it depended on them. But what God has been teaching them from the very beginning is it can't possibly depend on them. It always depends on who God is and what he's doing in their lives. And so, we had finished last week with the... uh, Pick up in verse 15 of chapter 3. Go forward from there. It says, as it's just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, picking up in chapter 4, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God had said, so I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And yet... His works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he, was, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it, remain, it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Rest. Rest. Can you imagine the promise of rest? How sweet does that sound? (laughs) Especially at a time when we are busier than ever. We We are more connected in all ways which has brought about some, um, some good, but also brings about some difficulty. Now, when people go on vacation, it's still very difficult to get away because you're still connected to the office. And you can still be reached. And you can still get assignments from afar. How do you get away? When do we rest? Do you realize, by the way, That when God was giving his people, after he brought them out of Egypt, he was giving them, okay, here's how to live as my people. 
Here's how to live life the way that it was designed to be lived, the way that it will go best for you. Before I even take you into the land, this is how you are to live as my people. And he gives them ten, <laughs> ten laws to follow. And one of those is to rest one day a week just worshiping God. One of the top ten was to rest one day a week. Now, if I were making that list, I might have come up with things like, yeah, you probably shouldn't kill people. That would be on my top ten. But resting one day out of seven? That seems like, well, maybe number 76, if we get that far down the list, we'll put that one in there. But one of the top ten? Rest one day in seven? Why? Two reasons. One, God knows us. He knows how we are made. And he knows that when we work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we actually aren't more productive. We're less productive. And we wear our bodies out because they weren't designed to go that way. And not only do we wear our bodies out, but we wear, wear our spirits out. And we become disconnected from our creator. Because we don't have that time of stopping and gaining perspective again. And so one day in seven, he says, stop. Stop what you're doing. And just rest in who I am and the work that I have done. And the work that he's continuing to do. He finished the creation, and so he rested from his work of creating, and yet he continues the work of maintaining his creation. And we can rest in that. When you read Psalm 23, don't you have the, the first part of the psalm? You really have this uh, the sense of resting in God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me. He makes me lie down. Why does he have to make us lie down? <laughs> Because there's still more to do. I've got I to keep going. There's another, there's another project that's got to get done, and if I don't do it now, I don't know when it's going to get done. Nah, 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 nah. Stop. <laughs> Lie down. Trust me. There's a reason, by the way, that uh, when kids are young, we make them take nap time, even when they don't think they need it. <laughs> if you've ever been around children, you know what I'm talking about. No, 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 I'm fine, I don't need, I'm not tired at all. And later that afternoon, I think maybe they should have had a nap. One day in seven, and we say, no, 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 I don't need to stop, I can keep going. And God says, I I know what you need. And so he actually makes not only the command of resting like that, but also the promise of entering rest. Uh, that one day in seven is actually there as a sign of who God is and the way he takes care of everything. That he's not just over that one day, that he's over all of it, all of our days, and especially leading into the kingdom come in fullness. So we can rest now because of the work that he is doing, and we can rest fully one day. We rest in him completely in all that he's done and will do. But he made the promise to the people of Israel that he would bring them into the land. And he brought people of Israel into the land. However, most of the generation that had an opportunity to go in didn't. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. We have the same kind of promise to enter into the rest of God. 
Not just the one day in seven, but to really enter the rest of God where we are able to rest every day as we do things in faith, depending on him and his strength in all that we do as a sign even for what's to come when we rest in him fully. And he says, this is the promise we have received. We have received the promise of rest. But let's look back at what happened to those guys so we don't end up like them. Because they had the opportunity and they didn't enter. Why did they not enter? Do you remember the two ways to be happy in Jesus? Trust and obey, right? Did they trust? No. Did they obey? No. Were they happy? No. <laughs> they did not enter. Because they did, not, they did not trust God and they did not believe One of the things that Hebrews will talk about over and over is this concept of faith, this living by faith, and that it's not just a matter of what we think as far as if we just are able to answer the right questions on a theology test, then God will let us into heaven or something. It's not about that. It's about living in the kingdom now. It's living our lives in faith. In other words, here's, here's the way we can remember this. F-A-I-T-H. You can write this down. F-A-I-T-H. It stands for following actively, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H. Following actively, I trust him. It is about a life that we are living today in trust of who God is and what Jesus has done for us. And it's as we do that, as we trust, as we obey, as we move forward in what he's called us to do, We will find a rest and a peace within that does not come by trying to just do it on our own, whatever it might be. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is giving some advice to various groups of people. When he talks to slaves, there's something there that applies to all of us. Where he says, um, so whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. We do so much working for other people. Working for their approval. Working for their, uh, for their paycheck. For whatever it is. And he says, but, but really, in what you're doing, you, know, you can't please everybody all the time. Work whatever it is for God. First and foremost, work at it with all your heart. When this command is to rest, that doesn't mean just quit doing everything, but it means do everything you're doing for God, and in that you will find rest. There will be a peace in your soul that even when other people may not be happy with what you're doing, you can rest in God knowing this is what he has called me to do and this is what I'm doing. Today, if you hear his heart, his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so we make every effort to enter that rest, to follow actively, to trust him. We talk about it a lot, how Jesus gives the um, example of those who build the house on the sand and those who built the house on the rock. And the difference is the one who built his house on the rock is not just the one who heard Jesus but the one 
who put his words into practice. And the one who built his house on sand is not the one who didn't hear Jesus, but the one who heard Jesus and didn't put his words into practice. James 1.22 says, uh, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. It's in this way that we enter into the rest of God. And then we have these final two verses, which seem almost like they're uh, tagged on to the end. Like, well, we've been talking about one thing. Now we're going to switch and talk about something completely different. I think they're related. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When it talks about the word of God, this is anything that comes from the mouth of God. This is obviously uh, Jesus as the incarnate word of God, but also of the word that God has spoken by his prophets, the word that we have contained in the Bible. And so... uh, As we read our Bibles, we recognize this is not just stories of things that happened long ago, and we listen to them and we go, well, that's interesting. Or maybe not interesting, depending on your point of view. But that everything in here has to do with exactly what we're living today. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it says it's alive, it's active, it's working in our lives, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating, dividing even soul, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is not a, uh, an anatomy lesson. This is saying there is nothing, even in the deepest part of ourselves, that we can keep hidden from God. And maybe you have the same experience that I have when uh, I noticed several years ago that when I would read the Bible, I would read it, like, there would be a physical difference in how I'd be sitting in my chair when I would read my Bible, and I didn't even mean it. I didn't mean to do this. It would just happen. I would read a normal book, and I would just be sitting there reading the book, and isn't this interesting? And I would read the Bible, and I would find that before long, I would start sliding down in my chair as I felt more and more uh, <laughs> convicted by the great distance there was between God's holy calling on his people and the way I was actually living. And it would show the things that I had tried to cover up and, uh, and sort of push aside. Well, I'm just not going to pay attention to that. I'll only look at the things that, you know, yeah, I got that all right there. And then I would start reading the Bible and, ooh, there's just nowhere to hide. <laughs> I would get lower and lower in my seat. But it does penetrate. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. It's not just about the right actions. It's the right attitudes. That's why David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. If it were just about the words we, that came out of our mouths, we could just be really careful with our words. But it goes all the way in. And so when we're talking about trusting and obeying, it's not just about getting the actions right. If we do this in this way, Then will he be happy? No. It's about having 
the attitude of the heart that is constantly in relationship with God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Be in relationship with him today. The real kind of relationship where nothing is hidden, but everything is exposed. And the kind that allows us to live in trust and obedience, understanding that his way is the only right way. That as we trust in Jesus, we don't have to worry about being revealed and exposed because we know that his work has already been finished. The work on the cross, when Jesus died paying the penalty for our sins, that we can now come to God, we can read his word, we can feel completely exposed, and as we start sinking down in our chairs, <laughs> we can recall Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So as far separated as we feel, as far separated as we know that kind of stack everything up, we really are. You know, those who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He has reconciled us to God. And in that, in his work, we can rest. And as we enter into that rest now, we can live in trust and obedience. And we can enter into his rest fully when he comes again. But until then, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.